Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Uh, so we are in the middle of this sermon series called Did Jesus Police? And gosh, if you are new to New City, like if this is your first time joining us, welcome, by the way please go back to the New City video page and watch through the sermons and community interviews that we have done for this sermon series. They have been amazing. If you have been uh, energized by any of the sermons or uh, community interviews, put an exclamation point in the comments. So just as like a little bit of like historical recap, when we were starting this sermon series, the staff, the communications team, um, some different folks I was talking to about this, pointed towards the MPD 150 report, which is a report uh, that is analyzing how the use of MPD, MPD Minneapolis Public Police um, time is being used. And so they, they named several categories and the categories that they named were roughly how we structured the, uh, the series based off the interviews that we can get and who is preaching. So uh, we heard amazingly from, uh, from folks who talked about how in intentional communities, there are ways for us to build uh, deep relationships that allow transformation to actually happen. Uh, we heard about this, this idea of having um, mental health emergency responders. Uh, yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, last Wednesday, I record this on Thursday, uh, we heard about the decriminalization of immigrants and a Harvard-trained lawyer talked about how the stats show that detaining immigrants isn't worth it. Um, we heard earlier about the from the Sexual Violence Center and how having a police as a first responder to sexual violence is actually the opposite of what someone who just experienced sexual violence needs to be encountering. Um, we had folks who meanwhile were volunteering in the encampment and were uh, looking for solutions around housing for homelessness. Um, we heard, uh, we directed some New City people to um, a, a, a webinar by the Black Visions Collective that talked about how so much of a police job is just reporting, writing tickets, paper pushing, and how that can be uh, uh, realigned with the 311 in, instead of a 911 call. Um, we heard about how prisons can be reimagined as houses of good news and how, and how prisons uh, uh, are much less appealing to God than rehabilitation centers because God is rehabilitating all of us. We heard from Heidi about how forgiveness and transformative love is what every human on this earth needs, including the people who have perpetuated violence in our communities, including the police officers who murdered Breonna Taylor. God's transformative love is across the board, and we transform as a society when we believe in that. And that pretty much more or less covers all of the categories that the MPD 150 report talked about, except for one. There is one category that we haven't really touched on yet that I bet is leaning in the back of your mind. And that, of course, is the question of what to do with people who are actively violent. 
all of the things that we were talking about before were um, things leading up to violence or or events that uh, that need some cleaning up after violence. But we haven't really talked about violence, like the actual occurrence of violence in the first place. And of course, we know that by using these strategies uh, of, of housing and healthcare and after-school programming, we are able to, like statistically, we know that we will be able to reduce violence in our community. But it still always beckons the question of what do we do about like real violence that is happening right now. Like, yeah, probably should have been prevented, but it hasn't been prevented and it's happening now. And that's always what what people who are opposed to defunding the police always bring up is, well, what am I supposed to do about the people who, like the bad guys who are going to commit violence now, even if we do start an amazing after-school program? And so it's in that context that I want us to be hearing this reading from the Bible. This is from Matthew 8, and it starts on verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, in the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed came from among the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that nobody could travel that road. They cried out, What are you going to do with us, son of God? Have you come to torture us before the time of judgment? Far off in the distance, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons pleaded with him, If you throw us out, send us into that herd of pigs. And then he said to the demons, Go away. And they came out and went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran into the city and told everything that had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole city came out and met Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Go ahead and in the comments write down a word or phrase that stuck out to you from this reading. Um, It's a really This is an amazing story from the Bible, especially when we're talking about community safety. So go ahead and type that in there. Head on over to the comments. Pop in your favorite word or phrase. We really believe that the the Bible is the living word of God. So we create this space because if there is a word or phrase that stuck out to you, like, hold on to that. (laughs) You know, let that be kind of this, like thing that like burrows into your brain and like really really like uh, uh, creates inspiration and questions and an imagination for God because that's what the Bible is here for. It's been passed down from our spiritual ancestors and entrusted to us so that we can continue to interpret it in our current context. Um, So I've preached before about the um, the miracle part of this about this story where Jesus comes in and then there are these folks and Jesus is like ta-da like I can make all of these things just kind of magically go away because I'm Jesus I can just say go away and then like problems go away <laughs> and um, and I think that that is helpful and we'll, we'll get back to uh, to God 
uh, God's role in this story in a second. But I think that there is as much Holy Spirit inspiration in the roles of the other people in this story. There's as much sacred learning from the other people in this story that I want to spend a little bit of time on them. So first of all, let's talk about these two men from uh, who are living among the tombs, living among the dead. The Bible says that they were so violent that people would drive on different roads to, to avoid them. People would post on social media and be like, I wish the GPS wouldn't take me through the ghetto <laughs> to avoid them because they were so violent. And I think like this is kind of displaying a fundamental human instinct where it's like, if something is bad or unpleasant or unsafe, I don't want to deal with it. And this whole community collectively agreed like, wow, oof, they're violent, don't want to deal with it. They have their own little tombstone area. We're just going to, we're just going to find our way around it without having to really address it because because it's easier to avoid things and it's especially easier to avoid things when you can't see them. So, uh, so those two violent men kind of went out of sight, out of mind and the, uh, the town uh, went around. And I think what's interesting about Jesus is first of all, he goes up to the men and talks to the people who were completely unseen before, right? And, and they're violent, right? They're violent. I don't want to be romantic about this. Like the Bible was like the one characteristic that we have about these men is that they are violent. <laughs> like I, I think that it's easy for progressives, you know, bleeding hearts, uh, uh, the best among us are just talking about like, well, yeah, but like, what about them being a product of their circumstance? And what about their attachment figures? And what about um, the after school programming that they had? And of course, all that is important. But sometimes you're in situations where there is a person in front of you, and they are violent. And that's the only thing you know about them. And this is what Jesus encountered is, is violence. And that was the only thing that he knew about them. Now, as far as like laying my hands on someone, I uh, am not a particularly violent person, despite the fact that I have my Taekwondo black belt certificate, okay? Uh, that was about the last time that I punched someone. <laughs> but I do remember there was one time in fifth grade, we were in that big gym gymnasium, and you know that it's like the wood floor with all the like shellac over it and everything's kind of slippery? And we were sitting on the ground and the teacher was explaining a, a game that we were gonna play. And I was sitting next to Kate. And uh, and Kate had on one of those like, you know, it was the 90s. And so it was one of those like, like track, like windbreaker material. Do you remember this? Where it would be like a matching top and then a bottom, many zippers in many places. Do you remember these? And so, uh, of course, I wasn't like listening to the, the gym teacher explaining the game. And so uh, we were talking to, to Kate and I can't remember what she said, but I remember uh, she said something that was so outrageous to me that I leaned in real close to Kate and I spat on her. <laughs> I spat on Kate in fifth grade and the spit 
hit her windbreaker like tracksuit thing and because it's water repellent it just slid down onto the shellacked floor i spat on kate and she just went did you just spit on me and i went did i just spit on her And it was in that moment that I realized that there is something like deeper down inside of me that can like do actions that I know I don't want to do or actions that might result in harm against someone that I don't really mean, but it's like they're ready to go at any time. And I remember thinking of uh, being a little fifth grader and being like, okay, first of all, feeling terrible and apologizing to Kate a thousand times and being like, just spit on me and get it over with. <laughs> but secondly, I remember seeing the bullies in school. And of course I was bullied. Asian gay kid in uh, public school. Like, okay, of course I was bullied. And I remember just thinking like, you know, I've said things that I didn't really mean to say too. And like, I've hurt people in ways that I didn't really mean to hurt people too. And so even though I was like mad and upset about it, there was a little part of me that was like, I kind of been there before, right? In like a fifth grader version of it. I might be making it sound a little bit more mature, but it was like, I see that there is something within humanity where violence is just like part of who we are we're made to be violence can help us get out of some really tough situations violence can help us uh when we're cornered like any mammal there is a certain like instinct of violence if anything spitting on people that allows us to get out of tough situations and so I I say this because, like, I think that all of us at some point need to find a point of empathy for the angry. All of us somehow need to find a point of empathy, not just for the angry, because I've been plenty angry uh, since fifth grade, but even for the violent and not just for uh, people who, like, destroy property, which, like, violent... Okay, let's talk about the definition of violence, but I'm talking about like people who like hurt other people. I think that all of us need to like figure out that we are in a town and there are folks who are committing violence or maybe we're participating in the violence sometimes, but then we look at violence in other ways. And and it's almost like we're looking at someone who is so unrelatable or so non-human that we can't relate to them. And from that posture, it's really easy to, uh, to exile them off to the graveyards. So I think that there's a learning there. Um, and, and it kind of makes me think about not just interpersonal violence, but it makes me think about bigger picture violence. Because um, the, the reason why people always bring up violence in conversations about defunding the police is because uh, people are deeply afraid of having violence against them. I'm, I'm deeply afraid of someone being violent to me. Heck yeah. And, and because that fear is so deep, the investment, the social investment of that fear is very deep 
as well. The Minneapolis uh, Police Department has a budget of $193 million. $193 million. Because we are very afraid of certain things happening and we're using our dollars as votes to say, like, I want you to make the scary thing not happen. Interestingly enough, the New York Times did a report on police calls and they found that of all the calls that police get, only 4% of those calls are responding to violence or violent situations. Only 4% of calls to police is, are responding to violence. And so here as a society, we have deep fear around violence. And so we have invested deeply in, violent res in uh, the responders to violence, who sometimes create violence. And 4% and of that time is being used to respond to violence. And this is where uh, I think the, the the character or the figure of the person watching the pigs comes in. Because the, um, the person who is watching the pigs, which I'm not about to make a joke about how the pigs and pigs is sometimes a derogatory use for police. Like when they go low, we go high, folks. Like we're not saying that. So uh, the person who is watching the pigs, um, like that was his livelihood that was this economic livelihood right and and jesus was like okay i see folks who are uh uh um, who have demons in them and then i see folks who have pigs and i can exercise the demons into the pigs but that will create that will require an economic sacrifice in order for those men's lives to be restored an economic sacrifice and i think that god was pretty clear what the will of God is. Like, yeah, God will choose economic sacrifice for the restoration of humanity every day of the week. And so when we look at our budget, it's like, you know what? If we're investing almost $200 million into the police and the police are responding to violence 4% of the time, maybe we could start with like that 96% of the budget being sacrificed from the cause of our fear and invested into causes that maybe more precisely can address the situations and the harm that's happening in our society. There is an amount of sacrifice to create change. That's what reinvestment means. And, and I think, of course, like, uh, if the person who was watching the, the swine had an option where he could have kept his herd and those men were restored, he would have asked for it. But God's like, when it comes down to it, I'm not going to wait for solutions where you can keep your wealth and people are restored. Of course, that's great. But if it comes down to it, I'm going to uh, make sure that our wealth is never seen as more valuable as the restoration of children of God. And the reason why that's important to name is because what we learn from the town. Because at the end of the story, Jesus uh, was like, hey, wow, I restored these people. And, and, <laughs> and the guy who was watching the pigs was like, whoa, I have a story to tell. And so he tells the town. And the town pleaded with Jesus to leave. The town just saw these men 
who they thought were irreparably, irredeemably banished from society, coming on back, being healthy and whole and capable of love and amazingly uh, ready to be part of society. And, and the town asked Jesus, the guy responsible for that, to leave. And this, I think, is the clue for what we can do around violence, even if we're not Jesus. The first step to solving violence is to want to solve violence. The community was like, oh my gosh, the, the, this guy's like a pig uh, herd was put into the lake. Like, uh, we can't stand for this. Whoever, uh, if, whoever did this might destroy our livelihood. I mean, there's like a lot of people to rehabilitate. What happens if our industry gets disrupted? This guy's got to go. And they asked the one person on earth who could revive people from completely impossible circumstances to leave without even, I mean, if <laughs> the strategist in me is like, could they have at least asked Jesus for like a brochure, for a pamphlet, for a handbook, for how to do this for future things? Like what happens if we discover another person in society who is so violent that we can't be around them? Like, could Jesus describe a little bit of that? But they were so blinded by their fear of the disruption of society, of the sacrifice required for the rehabilitation for people, that they were more concerned about maintaining stasis and asking Jesus to leave and asking Jesus to stay. And I think that that is what our invitation as people of God is. Because if you look out there, there is a ton of research on how to uh, intervene in violence. There's been amazing documentaries to, um, uh, that have shown how to intervene in active uh, violent situations that we'll hear about in a second. But most foundationally, before we get into any one tactic, I just want to name, like, we have to want to end violence. And what that means is that when you are watching the news or reading up on something and violence is mentioned, first of all, you're going to notice that, that like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. And the invitation is to, like, get in touch with a, a place of empathy for this. Like, don't close off yet. And then... Pray that we collectively as a society might become so like Jesus that we will be able to create spaces of rehabilitation like Jesus was on the earth. And, and I, you know, the structure that I love for prayer when I'm not sure how to pray is the acronym that Dana Newhauser taught me. Just pray with, like, start with, wow, God I see how you are moving in my life. Even when there are crises in front of me, I can keep my eyes above that and remember that you are still moving in life. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, and confess how we ourselves are complicit in a society that allows such horrendous violence to happen. I'm sorry. Um, thanks 
for uh, forgiving us provision, God. Thank you for the creativity and ingenuity. Thank you for critical thought. Thank you for science. Thank you for indigenous wisdom that will allow us to, to start nudging towards this. And help. Help, God. Because we know that, we know from experience that anytime we come up with a good news type of solution, if we don't stay connected to you, the empire will take it and use it for the empire's purposes, 10 times out of 10. So God, we need your help because, uh, because we ourselves can be the town that asks you to leave. We can be the town that asks for rehabilitation to take a hike. And when we pray, we remember that we can choose to be a different part of this story. And so foundationally, foundationally, there is the prayer that God will heal our hearts so that we want to end violence, not just in a like tis tis kind of way, not in a uh, wow, I can't even relate to people that way, but in a truly lamenting, grieving kind of way. Because here's the thing, God is a God of inspiration. And when you really feel the grind, when you really need to solve something, it's amazing the type of ideas that come up in a small amount of time. <laughs> like I have gone to singer-songwriters, Mayata, and been like, hey, I need a song about this like real soon. And Mayata is like, and it's like, all of a sudden, there's a song for this. Like, I was a prison chaplain, and uh, people figured out how to, like, exercise and lift weights even when they couldn't, like, leave their room. They filled bags with water and used broom handles to do bicep curls, which, like, wow, okay, motivation goals. <laughs> like, creativity. Like, people are amazingly injured. Like, there are teenagers down the street from me who have figured out how to get past, like, their parents' firewall. <laughs> On the internet, like, people are amazingly uh, inspired, and God gives us creativity. But it kind of is like those, like, birds of paradise in Madagascar, where, like, we need to create the space before the the innovation can come. Do you know what I'm talking about with the birds of paradise? It's like the male, like, clears away all the leaves in a little spot, and then a female comes down, and it's like the female assesses to see how well he is taking care of the home before she decides to mate with him. So it's kind of like we need to do that, except uh, instead of leaves, it's evil. And instead of a home, it's space for us to be inspired, the belief that God will inspire us. Because when we allow that to happen, amazing responses come. And we've seen incredibly creative responses to intervene in violence. I uh, really commend to you this um, documentary, The Interrupters, that talks about people mostly who have been in prison themselves figuring out ways to intervene in systems of violence and show people another way. Like, what do you know? The people who were most marginalized in society, the people who were back in the tombs, are the ones who can tell us how to escape death. And it's like, yeah, I would rather invest some of that $193 million into programs like that, like a lot of money, actually, into programs like that. I am thinking about the Mad Dads 
who are uh, in North Minneapolis uh, who go onto buses and I, I've ridden many Mad Dad buses. They come on with their green shirts and they say, this is a peace bus. And, and they like sit among people to make sure that uh, no fights break out on, on the bus. And they, um, and they, while they're there, they like sit next to people and they're like, Hey man, like, do you need a job? Hey man, do you need, I do have access to food. And like, literally, this is a real conversation that I heard. A mad dad sat next to someone and was like, Hey man, how's your prostate doing? Do you need a check? And it's like, okay, like that is how we will see the hands of Jesus in the world. This is how we will see the Holy Spirit. If, 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 People who are so formed and who are so expert in how wrong society can get are the very people who can intervene into society and show how right we can be. That is how we will be the hands and feet of Jesus. But the reason why we need to keep praying is because any one of these tactics can be manipulated and used for the empire. And, uh, and as long as we keep stoking that hunger for change, stoking that hunger for solutions, I believe that God will be a faithful God and that God will take our sacrifices and multiply them 30, 60, and 100 fold until one day all of us can be free.